back to Masters of Modern, the MMCast podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here at our New Times on Tuesday nights, here or Tuesday mornings, days, Tuesday days, uh, here with uh, our wonderful co-host, guesting uh, in, 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 in Ben's honor, Nikachu. Welcome. Thank you very much, Alex. Yes, I'm Nikachu, Merfolk Master. Also, some, something of a modern analyst. You know, this, is, this is what I'm more known for now than, than Merfolk these days. Just most people are like, I don't even play Merfolk. I just want to hear what I want to say about modern. That's, I mean, I like in in a similar position of pigeonholing to only being able to talk about modern. And when I explore outside, it always runs into barriers. I sympathize, but yes, we get, now now you get to talk about modern uh, again. Excellent. <laughs> to an audience that wants to hear all about modern. Yeah, you're in the right place. Oh, we're going to talk about modern on uh, the modern modern cat. Uh, uh, Masters of modern cast. There we go. <laughs> um, so really quickly for, for everyone, and then we'll get into small amounts of ads. Uh, please just uh, let our audience know whom whom you are. Where do you where where you come from? I'm Nikachu, the Merfolk Master. Basically, I started a YouTube channel about Merfolk because everyone in the Merfolk forums they didn't know how to play Merfolk, and I was like, well, this is ridiculous. I know how to win with this deck. It's not a foolish deck, and I basically built a channel around it and then grew it from there because a lot of people you know they just want to learn about modern and i like the you know the a little analytical approach to merfolk and i i would say i have a bit of a unique perspective because i'm playing a very underpowered deck i mean this deck merfolk has no power i'm not going to say like it has anything close to what amulet titan does or any busted combo deck so if i want to win I got to really know the metagame and I got to grind for my victories. So I have a, a unique perspective, I think, from all the other players that are like, oh, how could they make this banning this and that? Like, I come from very humble, very <laughs> humble position in the metagame and, you know, I've stuck to it and I still had success. You know, hey, I, I make day twos, well, one top eight of a GP, uh, but uh, I got it. I got it. And I can still make the deck relevant on like modern challenges and stuff like that well and and that's like that's something that the podcast always adheres to which is it's better often to master a deck than it is necessarily to play whatever the most recent hotness or the best deck mm -hmm. in the metagame because a player who's just picking up if a player has the best deck and then they are as as experienced as the person who's playing not the best deck then they probably might win but often that's not possible because the metagame shifts so much and that person who's just going to be able to be like oh this new deck's the greatest deck in the format right now i can learn that matchup really easily versus mm -hmm. you know how am i uh amulettine player going to learn every single modern deck matchup in and out and be able to beat merfolk of all things which a lot of people especially don't test against because its reputation isn't as good as its performance often uh, often dictates so that that's that's definitely something that it's good to hear. Absolutely. Although I have to admit, you know, I, the Merfolk community themselves, they like the idea of being under the radar. For the most part, modern is a removal heavy format. So, I mean, a lot of the cards just built into every deck will <laughs> interact right. quite favorably with Merfolk. But, you know, we still still got those tricks up our sleeve. If you forgot what Harbinger of the Tides does, then maybe that'll be the one turn that it blows you out. Well, it's it's. One yeah. Unless attack step. It's not necessarily like amulet type or not amulet, uh, lantern control, right? Where people like, yeah, that's right. Like, oh, if you're not playing hardcore artifact removal, no cards interact with this deck. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. Um, so yeah, it's it's you got to find your your windows, but um, 
So yeah, so so really quickly, uh, first off, if, if uh, you're you know this this podcast is bought by our patrons, we did a whole uh, pre-show about 15 minutes of content uh, purely about Squid Game. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Squid Game, uh, it was Nikachu's first time getting to talk with it about uh, to into the world at large. So you were hyped. Oh yeah, I was excited. Uh, so I mean, if you love Squid Game, you got to make that the most popular patron post ever. You get those views up. That's true. Then we might we might just start a Squid Game podcast for season two. <laughs> Maybe. Oh man, there was big views on Squid Game. Oh on yeah, I bet. There's uh, opportunities there. Uh, and then uh, also this, uh, we have an affiliate code with TCG Player. So if you see that link below, uh, you, and you want to buy some Magic cards, maybe some Merfolk cards, because we're going to be talking about that today. Click on that link, uh, and uh, that's that helps the podcast out. They know we sent you. Uh, and then uh, the last kind of big shout out is we're we have a whole new schedule out, and uh, there maybe uh, Rick who does all of our editing will post it in front of the screen as i talk about it but basically uh the podcast now releases every tuesday it's been on mondays uh but we moved it forward partially because we realized that we were just like putting a bunch of content on the internet all at once and wanted to spread it out uh mondays we'll still do the commander stream uh at nights but we are now doing modern gameplay content every sunday uh afternoon we're live streaming it and then it will live on the youtube channel from that point onward ben's kind of hosting that it's he'll be hosting that i'll be doing some of the commander stuff and I'll, we'll both guess on the other one when we get a chance but that's a whole new thing uh, where it's called Masters of Modern Gauntlet and we'll have guests and they'll play against Ben and get to get to talk about their the deck that they're the best at and and so uh, definitely make sure to check that out uh, the first one aired last Sunday it was me and Ben uh, I don't know what deck I'm going to play so retroactively I'm playing a sweet deck that's dope and I did really well with it and you should watch it to find out how wrong I am <laughs> Are you a small business owner or are you thinking about becoming one? Does the legal side of things like incorporating and contracts seem daunting? Do you just wish you could ask an attorney for help without paying huge hourly rates? I know when I started my business, it was really daunting about all the different issues that were facing me on this side and having someone to go to and talk to or someone that I would know that would know what they were talking about would have been really helpful. And we are excited to tell you about a big opportunity to do just that coming up in December. Attorney Andrea Sager, a small business specialist and the founder of TheLegalpreneur.com is a hosting a comprehensive five-day challenge for a flat fee of $19, just $19. What is the five-day Legalpreneur Challenge? It is an opportunity for our community of small business entrepreneurs to get legally protected and prepared for exponential growth in a new year for only $19. December 6th through 10th is a challenge week featuring one legal training video sent each morning, one live support call each afternoon, one downloadable guide for each evening, and a community to support you through the legal anxieties that all entrepreneurs face. This is a group of people that you have access to that I wish I had when I was starting my business, and this is a great way of getting access to that for only $19. Each day, the challenge will target the most intimidating areas of the law that are often overlooked by small business entrepreneurs. Daily topics include entity formation, contracts, trademarks, copyrights, and creating an annual legal review checklist. And five free downloadable guides are included. Challenge Week is also supplemented by a five-day Legalpreneur Challenge course that organizes all of the content in one place, forever accessible by Challenge Week participants. So even if you go through this whole process and you need to be able to get access to this afterwards, there's a easy to go to location to find it. All of this for the one-time price of $19. And when you use our affiliate link at thecontractvault.com slash ref slash the MMCast, labeled, labeled, somewhere around my head, or by clicking the link in the description to this episode, your help support this show, uh, and, and we super appreciate it. Get your business handled. Thanks so much for checking this out, and enjoy the episode.
And then the last thing is, uh, I maybe said this last thing. This is the actual last thing. So we, we do a little game every episode. It's a trivia game. And I, I, uh, I now that we've had guests on for the last few weeks, uh, have put the onus on the guests to come up with trivia to try and stump me. Uh, so far, I keep getting stumped, so we'll do it. But the way this works is uh, Nikachu is going to ask me a trivia question. Uh, I'm going to, him and Ha, you all have to try and answer it. And you're making a bet with us. If you... Uh, know the answer or you think you know the answer comment it below and then if you get it right you win uh we appreciate it if you want to hit that like button great but if you get it wrong you have to hit like you have to hit subscribe you're obligated to do it that's the deal you made (laughs) just by listening to me say it that's the sorry you should have not listened for that hot 10 seconds uh but now we're now you're into it it's a squid game uh it's you either do what i just said or you might you're not gonna die that's terrifying (laughs) um but all right let's let's hear the trivia question real quick Oh, you want to get into the trivia? Oh, yeah, it's trivia time. Trivia All right. I'm not a master of Jeopardy. I'm not a master of giving questions, but I do got something from the Merfolk community. Which Merfolk staple cannot be found in the correct, with the correct oracle text, non-foil? Which Merfolk staple cannot be found in the correct oracle text, non-foil? Huh. Okay, so I don't think anything was because I I do know that like recent sets sometimes the foil are different, but you know even the new Val staples that there's all these mistakes on. I don't think there was a difference. So this feels like it's like a tenth edition issue because like the errata is wrong, or or like the the rules clarification on tenth edition aren't on the foils. It's kind of like how like end the turn and time stop tenth edition foil doesn't have the explanation of what ending the turn means. It just says end the turn on it. So was it in tenth edition? I'm impressed how you're uh, at least how you're trying to reverse engineer the answer. Oh yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. It's not, like... not bad at all. <laughs> so like, I guess the like is Island Walk. Did they change how Island Walked works? And is 10th edition the only version of Lord of Atlantis that doesn't say what it does? Like, doesn't, does that can't be true. There has to be a Lord of Atlantis before that. This is Island Walk. Is there another Merfolk staple that's only from 10th edition? Choke, it's not choke is bad for Merfolk. Choke is bad for Merfolk. <laughs> you don't play choke in the Merfolk. Anti Merfolk staple. Well, some people have tried. I've seen it. Just load up your deck with non islands and boom, throw just, the choke out just there. Just get them. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to guess Lord of Atlantis. Just, just swinging in the 10th edition foil world. You got the right answer, but I guess for the wrong reason. Oh, don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? The, re- the reason is Lord of Atlantis, I mean, originally in Alpha, it wasn't called a merfolk. It was a lord. Oh. Or, sorry, no, actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. In Alpha, it was actually called Lord of Atlantis. Uh, that was the creature type, but eventually it got turned. The creature type was turned into Lord, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it still gave all other. No, it said all, I think all Merfolk get plus one plus one in Island Walk, but it didn't include itself because it was a Lord. It wasn't a Merfolk. Sure. Now at the point of I believe Time Spiral, maybe earlier, uh, Time Spiral Lord of Atlantis is called Merfolk Lord, 
and at some point they errated it to just say merfolk it's not a lord anymore sure they got rid of the but lord the problem is type. the the newest version of lord of atlantis that has correct errata was a foil judge promo that's why i specifically said that you can't find a non-foil lord of atlantis with the correct oracle text because the the only one with the correct oracle text is in foil so the the because the time spiral oh because it's a mer, it says merfolk lord on yeah, it's time still spiral that old archaic oh so it's just know, there's only text. one printing of lord of atlantis that doesn't say lord on it correct the wild correct oracle text. oh oh, oh what about also, what about been seven added a million times yeah, yeah. All Merfolk get plus one point and have I walk. Oh, because it's oh Lord of Atlantis from seventh edition is just Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just Lord, so it doesn't buff itself because it's not a Merfolk, it's a Lord. Oh. Okay, what well I got weird, the right card. Cool. So <laughs> Yeah, I got the right card. It wasn't bad. Like I was I was impressed. I was impressed how you know how you're doing your detective work. Yeah, I like I like walked my way into the wrong reasons. I've yeah. I've never it's better to <laughs> be lucky counts. than than it's better be lucky and right than dumb and wrong. <laughs> or whatever I mean, the you, is. what can I say? I mean, like you 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 walked yourself backwards to tenth edition where, you know, probably there were some what old Merfolk cards that are staples today. I could have gone through any errata change. There you go, Lord of Atlantis. I didn't even think about that. You know? Yeah, maybe was, I made the question too easy. I was like, I was thinking, oh no, 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 that was really hard. <laughs> I got that purely by luck. Uh, I like, I knew that there was because it was possible it was something from the last year and a half, right? Because because of all the different printing ways things are being printed, cards that are oh, printed yeah, yeah. in like the Commander precon might have a different ruling on it than cards printed in uh collector boosters which will be different than draft boosters like so like maybe there's like a weird card that was printed in the mystical archive that's a merfolk staple that like happens to have the correct ruling for the first time and the last time it was printed was like 30 years ago so that mm-hmm. there was like definite weird and like i was also afraid that like if you were going to ask me which cards we're seeing heavy play in merfolk that were printed since 2019 i don't know if i could tell you which one so it could have been just like a weird <laughs> new card or like a modern like a dock the dock hand right for the the dock hand tide shaper Svelun. right like from so like any of those could just have like a weird problem with their printing that had to be rotted i also like thought really hard is there a companion but then they don't have it there's no printing of companions that are correctly eroded yet though yeah. like people have been asking for a secret layer uh that has like all of the correct printing for them I also want to mind three to put into your hand. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So, so, so that's magic trivia. So thank you everyone who got it wrong and had to hit that subscribe and like button. We appreciate you a great deal. If you got it right, congratulations. You're smarter than me. Cause you probably knew why that was the answer. And then, uh, but hit, please, you know, we appreciate that subscribe and like, that's always a nice, a nice experience. We do modern content here every week uh, and a bunch of other content now. Um, so yeah, so now, now we're past trivia. Let's, let's, let's talk. So, so what got you into modern? Why did you start playing modern? Where like what is your like history into magic? Why why what motivated you to become this merfolk expert in this world of of modern magic? Super long story short, I mean maybe around 2012 uh 2000 maybe 2013, I was getting burnt out in chess. I was playing it. Like I I played magic on and off in my life a lot of times. And then at some point like an uh, old high school friend says, "Hey, you played magic in high school. Can you play with us?" Uh, we just got into magic and I'm like, sure, let's let's play a little bit. And then they got like I got the bug back and I'm like, I don't want to play chess right now. Do you know what? I'm really hungry to play like a lot of magic at the moment. 
So I started and then I decided, you know what? This is like the fourth time I'm coming back to Magic. I should just permanently stick to this to somewhat semi permanently stick to this game and actually get good at it. So I started to like uh, associate myself with like pro tour competitors or, you know, people who are just at least very serious about the game. I was binging FNMs. Uh, but one thing I did love in the my earliest days, like in high school, is I loved extended. I loved those non-rotating formats. And standard is fine and all that, but that was the point. Like I was I was getting back into the game in standard, but what I really wanted to do was play the non-rotating format, legacy, modern. So I mean that's basically how I moved. It was just a natural thing. It was just a matter of time that I moved into modern. The normal, the normal. Oh, my cards keep rotating. Why? <laughs> Please, something yeah, yeah, stable. Yeah, yeah. Um, sweet. And then what brought you to Merfolk? Why Why? Why did you latch on to, I mean, the, you know, the fish deck of the, all things? Yeah. The funny thing is actually my, my journey into modern was delayed maybe by a year. Because the moment I, dis- I wanted to dump standard was the moment that um, Theros got printed. And a beautiful mono blue devotion deck was tier one in standard. And it was exactly the type of deck I want to play. I love these blue decks, creatures. It's exactly the type of style I want to play. So I played like every standard event I could possibly play in the city with this mono blue deck. I got my fill until like rotation. Uh, But then when I was moving to modern, I mean, initially I played Bogles. Uh, I got I got murdered. Like I was very new to modern. I didn't know I'm supposed to side in Spell Skype, or sorry, not Spell Skype, Dismember and Path to Exile for every matchup because Spell Skype is being sided in against me. In every matchup, you have Spell Skype too. You have Spell Skype too. You have Spell Skype too. <laughs> I mean, I seriously, I don't actually think Bogles is a very good. I mean, unless you have a sideboard guide, I don't think Bogles is a very good beginner deck into modern just because there are just really painfully awful sideboard cards against you. And I lost like 20 games straight. So I said, well, to hell with this deck. I'm not going to play this deck. I'm going to play something else. And then I found out, well, there's there's Merfolk. And it and it looks so, and it's so similar to uh, Mono Blue Devotion and Standard. I'm just upgrading the creatures more or less. And um, I mean, at that point, you what, were playing Master of Waves in yes. both decks anyways. So you're kind of yeah. like your main and win condition. Mage. Yeah. No, and you, I replaced Judges familiar with Curse Catcher. And so what ended up happening with a little bit of advice from uh, a pro tour player, Petter Sahurik, who uh, was winning on the pro tour with Merfolk, I top aided two PTQs in a row, one with about 80 ish people and another one, 175 ish people. So and I was like, I'm on top of the world. This is the best deck in modern. And so, I mean, I've been dedicated ever since. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you kind of came in red moment. That's also, I think the era where it won most of its GPs. So it was like in a moment to pick up and. Well, I got into it before it got big because my, my info, well, I don't know about the 2016 one, but I know the 2015 one, um, the guy was playing my list just okay. off by two cards. He asked me, Hey, what? Cause I was already the authority at that time where mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm the dedicated person to Merfolk and, uh, the guy, uh, his name was Shemek. Notzinski, he asked me, okay, what's your list? What are you doing? And I said, I got a list. Right, I got, right. I got oh, a I list got for you. And he, he switched two cards, and I made 21st place in that event, in that uh, GP. Didn't get credit because the decks were so similar. Mm-hmm. Like, they just didn't publish anything that looked like a, like, like a double. But he won first place, and uh, we talked about all the matchups in the top eight. Like, okay, you're, you're going up against Scapeshift? Or you actually have to bring in Kira for this combo matchup because it plays more like a control deck. You gotta 
keep the creatures on the battlefield. So um, so he won. And then but I, I would say I would say I had a big influence on the Merfolk community, at least at a competitive level. And and so what were the two cards that were different? Do you remember? Yeah, I don't remember what he took out, he, but he brought in two hibernation in the sideboard okay. for the uh, Coco. What was that called at the time? The podless pod, basically. OK, yeah, yeah. Collected company, yeah. Malira combo. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so all right, let's, let's just the next part of the thing in my notes is talking about Merfolk anyway. So, OK, so history of Merfolk um, kind of has been around basically since. Uh, the format has existed between both copies mm-hmm. of Lord of Atlantis, uh, Masterways being printed in Theros, uh, a lot of the staples because it was a a legacy deck uh, for a long, long time that was yes. you know, doing really well. And most of the cards, kind of similar to Affinity, would did the same thing, were pretty easily able to port into modern without too many pain points. And like the main cards you were missing, like were Force of Will, but the mana was way worse, and so just being able to punish people with uh, over uh, not overgrown seas. Oh, spreading seas. Spreading seas. Thank you. There's a C in here. <laughs> There's a lot of seas. We're talking about Merfolk. Um, and so the deck, you know, a combination of mana denial, resource denial, and just aggressive threats that get around islands. Because uh, I always put in a position where it kind of can capitalize on that. In modern times, the postmodern Horizons One world, it hasn't probably performed as strongly, even though it hasn't had anything taken out of the deck. Where where do you see Merfolk now, and what are its strengths? What are its weaknesses? Why would someone play it at the moment, etc.? Well, uh, I actually look at the deck very similarly, like it was back in 2017, because it it its popularity just collapsed with the rise of like Bantel Drazi. I don't know what it was, but a lot of people like said, "Well, there's a new tribal deck." In the format, why would anyone play Merfolk? And then humans comes up. Why would anyone play Merfolk? Etc. 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 So it it has. It, why play it? I mean, basically, it has a pretty good control matchup. Like it has a really good control matchup for the most part. Uh, we have Natural Island Walk. Uh, we have Counter Magic. Uh, we can play at Flash Speed pretty effectively. We get around like you know Ether Vial and Cavern of Souls. You know, neuter like. A huge chunk of their their deck. They can't counterspell anything. There's so many games. I play Cavern of Souls. I just place cards, and my opponent just doesn't do anything. They just make land land drop, land drop, land drop, and then they lo- and then they just concede. It's because they had a handful of counter magic. So you would want to play it. Well, you'd you if you like to win on hard mode, because that's really what Merfolk is all about. Like I said, this is a deck with no power. There's no power in this deck whatsoever. It's on the same realm of like death and taxes. You have to earn your victories playing creatures turning them sideways hoping the creatures don't die don't get blocked don't get countered nothing uh, you deal damage and you have to rinse and repeat this process over and over again until your opponent concedes so uh, with that in mind you have to play very accurately it's not it's not a forgiving deck at all you make a big mistake you probably blew the match i mean that's just how it is so you you really need to know the deck uh, but otherwise it's it it's it's funny. It just has enough trickiness to it, and the fact that it's so adaptable, like it's a. I don't want to call this too much of a toolbox deck, but there is a wide range of ways you can customize the deck. Its advantages are when the metagame is narrow. Usually, you can build a very effective deck against that metagame. And the more the more wide the metagame is, the more the the more screwed my merfolk deck is so against a very diverse metagame i'm highly disadvantaged against a very narrow metagame i'm very advantaged i can play very focused spells versus whether you're big mana strategies control aggro 
whatever. But if it's if it's all over the place, uh, I'm going to hedge too much against one archetype or another. I'm not going to get the right matchups and then it just flops. So with Modern Horizons 2, the metagame shifted pretty heavily, right? I mean, this year, oh, these yeah, last two years. Oh, yeah, biggest shift maybe in the history of Modern. Right. Like the last two years have been a relatively tumultuous metagame, partially because, you know, before Modern Horizons 2, there was Modern Horizons 1 plus War of Spark into maybe the most powerful year of magic since mm-hmm. Urza's saga. And then that kind of continuing the rotation. A lot of those ended up being more like specific pain point banning problems where you have companions, which weren't banned, but were eroded. Um, yep. You had Hogak, you had Oko. <laughs> uh, you had Once Upon a Time, you had, you know, uh, and then you go into the like the era of snow, landfall, etc. And but then Modern Rise 2 came out, kind of totally reset the metagame. But then the metagame has actually been pretty stable since then. Mm-hmm. Does does Merfolk, is the, is kind of the world of what the metagame looks like at the moment a friendly place for Merfolk? Is it something that you maybe would take to, you know, the Magic Fest uh, tournament that's happening this weekend? Would this maybe not be the best tournament for that due to what decks are most popular? Uh, the... I would 100% bring Merfolk to to the event. But, like, I would say I, I am... Uh, I'm in a very comfortable position with Merfolk. I wouldn't say this metagame is hostile. It's never it's never good. Like I said, you're always working for your victories. You're always working for your victories. But I've seen way worse metagames. Like, I, whenever I see a bad matchup, I'm just like, well, this is not Lantern Control. Because Lantern Control was an atrocious matchup. It was like, it was a 5%er if my opponent was really bad. Like, and if my opponent was good, then it was like a zero percenter. It was like the worst matchup I can think of in the history of the history I've ever played in modern. Right now, I would say I am not comfortable against any solitude plus fury plus omnath matchup, although maybe it can be shored up with solitude. Like solitude is some new tech showing up in um uh the Merfolk deck. I want to give credit to the guy who uh made it. Something Tulio. But uh uh, this guy is making some pretty consistent five zeros with Merfolk. Have you shipped me? Yeah, Tulio Jotty. Okay. So Tulio Jotty is two big innovations, adding subtlety and uh, Archmage's Charm in the main, sacrificing Mutavolt for it. But I do like the idea because one thing I didn't like about Luris as a companion is that it deprived me of grinding out decks threat wise like the traditional way say a merfolk deck beat jund is that i have more threats than you have answers for and if we you deplete my hand my spreading seizes and my silver gill adepts and my mutavolt outnumbered whatever you had in your own deck mm-hmm. so i am less likely to flood out than you and if you want to play this grind out game with me you'll lose not anymore with Luris. so if they have Luris in their deck i will always lose on card advantage 100 percent of the time i cannot win the long game as long as Luris exists as a companion, because we'll exchange all resources, we're empty-handed, but then they grab Luris, they play Luris, they get a Tarmogoyf back, and then if I don't immediately kill the Luris, it like cascades out of control really quickly. So now I learned that I can't... Killing things are really bad right now against a Luris deck. If you try to kill, if you try to burn everything down, destroy everything, that's probably not an ideal optimal strategy versus a Luris deck. So this whole idea of Archmage's Charm of stealing something from them, not necessarily putting into the graveyard, to bounce to to bounce it on top of their library with subtlety because when subtlety enters the battlefield you return target creature or planeswalker spell and put it on top of their deck this is hitting at an angle that i like in uh in modern and uh anyway it's a new innovation you know that's just the magic of the merfolk deck you know finding new tools to interact the right moment of the metagame yeah no i mean that that's kind of 
mean, a with subtlety, you're you're fighting fire a little bit with fire, which is always always a strategy that yes. works. <laughs> um, and then fighting um, fire with water. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, l- light. What is? I guess fury is fire. We'll take fire. Yeah, fury is fire. There we go. Uh, um, but then uh, <laughs> the the. Um, and then Archimedes Charm is also a tech that, like, yeah, that's also just, like, an, a very versatile tool that can, in the matchups it's bad, always is able to kind of just draw you cards to get to something that maybe yeah. is more useful. And then um, being at instant speed lets you play other specs that you have. Um, so I'm going to go through some of the, like, top decks and maybe talk about, like, what strategies you would implement to try and beat it or if this is just a matchup that's bad and hopefully you dodge it. So the first one right. is what I think a lot of people are pointing at for the challenge this weekend and, and, and next week as maybe the best deck in the format. And that's hammer time. So, I mean, I built my entire deck around hammer time currently, like almost every card is meant for hammer time. I play Merfolk trickster to tap things down. I play harbinger of the tides to bounce them back to their hand. Uh, I'm playing brazen borrower to either bounce creatures or bounce the hammer back to their hand. So I'm very, very, ha- very much have this deck on my radar because if I don't beat this deck, I'm completely ruined. And I would say, I can say confidently because I, d- I do like to say se- uh, segregate players into two categories, like the, the pros and then the casual players, because there's a very big difference between, you know, a pro playing hammer time versus the casual player. The casual player, uh, I think I have a big edge versus ha- uh, against hammer time. Uh, they hammer because hammer time is a very complicated, diff- difficult deck to play. Uh, if you it's almost like affinity, if you just go all in, uh, you might walk right into a blowout. Whereas if you maybe you chip away, wait for your opponent to tap out, then you slam them with the cranial plating and boom, it's all over. And a very similar situation can ha- happen with hammer time. If you're just going to play the hammer into open mana and you have no backup plan after that, then maybe you wasted your opportunity because you can't like Sigarda's... Because you play hammer, equipped with Sigarda's aid, but then if you have no way of backing that up later, then, well, you, know, you, you might not draw anything for a few turns, and that's my opportunity to win. Against good players, I don't know. I'm going to guess I'm around, like, less than 50-50. Maybe I'm 45-55. Maybe I'm way worse than that. But, you know, I, I always have a chance. So, uh, anyway, I think I'm pretty comfortable with my Hammer Time matchup. I can't say objectively how good I am against the pro players. Maybe I have an edge because I have so many tempo cards. But uh, I'm going to guess not because they if they win the die roll they're probably favored in the match overall. And I can only win the die roll like 50% of the time. So like the deck has enough speed that there's going to be some hands I just have no chance of uh, interacting with. Sure, sure. And 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 sometimes the benefit with the, uh, the pro player too is that like if you're trying to play Magic in a pro capacity, you're having to pay attention to so many different formats that like even if you've tested Hammer mm-hmm. Time a bunch and uh, like pro players are just very good. <laughs> like, yeah. well, I would that's... say when I say pro, I mean like the modern specialist. Oh, okay, so okay, I'm, okay. I'm more concerned about the because the, you're right because the pro players, they there's a huge section of pro players. They just hate modern because, yeah, their time is divided. They honestly can't pay so much attention to modern, but the people who love modern dedicated you know the, the aspiring spikes, the doom wakes, the canisters. Sure. Uh, you know they're they're those are the people I fear because I do keep them in mind because I want to win the tournament. Like I want go, I want to go. If I go to a GP, I always do it with the intention of winning the tournament. Uh, so I have to have plans. Hopefully, for worst case scenario, best deck in the format played by the best player. What's my matchup like? Right, right, right. Um, Merktide region. 
I think this is very close, but I think I'm favorable. I think I'm favorable in this matchup. They, they play Murktide. I can bounce it with uh, Harbinger of the Tides or Brazen Bar. The, that's the whole idea, is just completely deprive them of their resources. I think I can keep their graveyard low with the Ragavan. I have enough tempos. I have enough tempo moves that I can eke out uh, a victory. And I think one card that at least very important to me to winning this matchup is Cure a Great Glass Spinner. I think if my creatures aren't removed, they will not beat me. So, I mean, if they spend too many resources or too much mana killing my creatures, uh, I will come out on top. It's a close matchup, though, because you never like if they play a Murktide, it can get really big, really fast if they like play a follow up Murktide to buff up the original Murktide. So you do have to be careful with your life total. But, and it's uh, a real tightrope. But I, I'm I'd be very happy to play against this deck all tournament. All right. Uh, you, we kind of talked about control, but if you want to kind of jump into control really quick uh, uh, as a brief one. I will just say I would prefer to against play not to play against the Yorian one with a lot of walls. Wall of Omens is very frustrating because it forces me to commit more creatures to the board than I want to, locking into a Supreme Verdict that I don't want to. Um, so that's all. And they, they operate with more card advantage. I think they have less dead cards in the in the matchup, and they play Spreading Seas that can hit my Muta Vault. So uh, non Yorian version, I'll play. I'd like to play it all tournament. The Blink one. A lot closer, a lot. Cl- I still think I'm favored, but it's a, it's it's way closer, so way you, closer than for comfort. You'd rather see Kihiras than than Yorians. That's right there. I want to see. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You got it. Um, so I guess I guess that's one question, and, and we can be here. Like, how one jumping in against the deck, how helpful is the early information on which companion they might be playing with, or if they're playing a companion in for keeping your hand or walking into that matchup. I think overall, if I'm up against Alluris, I will try not to mulligan. I'll maybe keep a little bit of greed, slightly greedy. I don't want to be too greedy because London mulligan is really nice. Like, I don't I don't like keeping so many sketchy hands anymore. But when I see Luris, I'm thinking like Death Shadow. I'm thinking Jund. I'm thinking like Rakdos. Like, I'm thinking Inquisition of Thoughts and Inquisition and Thoughtsy. So the more I mulligan against those decks, the more ruined I am. The only time that this doesn't work is if I'm up against Hammer Time. And then, and then Kihira versus Yurion versus. Well, Yurion, I, I just can't do my. I mean, yeah. I, will, I will assume if I see a Yurion, it's like some sort of control deck. Sure. Maybe with Solitudes, Furies, or maybe it's the Blink one. But, you know, they'll play. Well, I, uh, I won't say they play similarly, but I don't think my mulligan decisions would change very much. If I see Kihira, I'll just assume it's. Uh, well, I guess it could be Elementals. You know, there could be Elementals. But uh, for the most part, I think the only companion. That would, I might, cons- you know, will change my my seven card keep would be uh, just Luris. Okay. Um. Now, now moving uh into it's this is a little bit of a library of cards, but the the Cascade decks, Crashing Footballs, Living End, yes. et cetera, et cetera. I'm surprisingly a big dog. Like these games are so close, but I keep losing, and I don't know <laughs> if it's like fifty fifty, and I'm on the low side of variance. But truth be told. They've adapted their deck to deal with early game interactions so well because they have to they have to respect Ragavan and Dragon Rage Chandler. They have to kill these things really early on. So um, decks are more incentivized to make sure they have early game interaction. And this uh, this crashing football, this specifically crashing footballs, it, it on paper to me, this looks like a deck I would beat because ha- it has islands and I just need to interact a little bit. But in practice, they're more or less killing my thing on turn one, killing my thing on turn two, 
put two eight eight rhinos in play, and they're still tempoing me out. Well, I tr- like I could turn the corner if I can get enough stuff to stick, but I just can't. And so that's the that's that's my problem against this deck. I I want to say in theory there is some solution to crushing this thing, but uh, at the moment, like my records say, I'm I'm losing. So I have to figure something out for GP Vegas. It might be Kira because like that's another thing. Like I started bringing Kira because every single matchup I'm losing to, it's because the creatures aren't sticking, and I haven't played Kira since 2016 or something like that. It's been a long time since I packed up Kira, but there's a lot of removal in the format. So, yeah, I mean, there's like Modern Horizons printed four of the best removal spells in the format. All right. Last one. And, and this is kind of uh, uh, the the Titan decks like Amulet Titan versus Scapeshift versus uh, any of those. Amulet Titan is just a terrible matchup. It's really bad, but I'm really happy that it's like sort of gotten worse. It hasn't disappeared from the metagame, but like it's receded a lot. It's got new enemies. It's got a deal with Unholy Heat. There's a good Blood Moon deck in the format with Murktide, the Murktide deck. The, like the, and I think uh, even the Crashing Footfall decks play some Blood Moons, some versions. Uh, so they, they've got some competition now. It, you know, Amulet Titan can't... And also Mill, just randomly being there. So they now have a bunch of random bad matchups. And that will keep... Not to say... Like a lot of people ask me, what happened to Amulet Titan? What happened to... Amulet Titan is still a really powerful deck. It's just... It's got more problems than it did before. In the past, it was just... You play a Primeval Titan, and it resolves, and it, it attacks. The, the, the game is basically over. But now it's got more than just Path to Exile it has to deal with. So yeah, it's not as uh, invincible as it used to be. It's not that it's not seeing play. It's more that mm-hmm. it just is losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a win rate is not as high as it used to be, um, but it's still a powerful deck, still very powerful. And and so I, I guess, you know, we could keep going with different deck matchups. I guess, are there any decks that I missed that you want to kind of point out as key things that you have that might be good or bad against those decks or key things to keep in mind for Merfolk players and any decks that are expressly terrible as a matchup? Well, I mean, I th- the, the, the matchup I'm most concerned about is this sort of Yorian Elemental Soup deck. That's playing with Solitude, Omnath, and Fury because so, uh, Solitude and Fury, I mean, they can they, they interact at for free. Like the greatest thing about a control is at some point they'll tap out for say a Planeswalker. I counter it and then I just load the board up. You know, violent this, play this creature at instant speed, and then you can interact with me. But now they can do things like Solitude and still interact with me or they or I start building up a team and then they fury both of them away and they operate with so much card advantage it's like basically impossible to compete with so subtlety might be the answer that I needed in those matchups I just have to wait and see that but that's basically the one matchup I'm terrified of for the most part I'm not really concerned about the other matchups whatever you know Merfolk is like it's like a 50-50 deck usually against a lot of archetypes. And mm-hmm. then you just hope to know that 50, you're 50% better than the other person. And that's right. what gives you your advantage. I would just say like, that that elemental soup deck that now is becoming very popular to the point like the elemental deck doesn't see any play anymore. Like I, 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 I thought it was one of the top 10 decks to beat. And now I don't think so. Like people are just gravitating to the new Yorian basically four color control deck. Sure. It's interesting that subtlety has the chance of being this... Like uh, for those who don't remember this, like when the the Titans came out, you know, there was everyone was really hyped on Primeval Titan and Inferno Titan and Grave Titan and like Sun Titan in non standard formats, but like Commander and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
like Frost Titan was like the 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 dog. Everyone was like, oh, that card's bad. It's not going to see play <laughs> like it's it it like all these other ones do something. This just like and then it ended up that it was the one shot bullet against the other Titans. <laughs> it ended History's up being repeating like, itself. Yeah. Where like everyone. I mean, I was guilty of this walking out of, of, of Modern Horizons talking like, you know, my, my hot take was that Fury was great and subtlety was bad and that <laughs> mostly panned out. But now we've gone to the point where like subtlety might be the card needed to fight against the other. Yeah, the other elementals. elementals. It's 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 the frost titan of this cycle, which uh, is wild and cool in some ways, other than the fact that they're all like $80 price tags. <laughs> um, the subtlety is a few bucks. That's true. Yeah, you can get yourself. I would get them now. I mean, based on this conversation, I I do think that they're I mean, I I do want to talk about the elementals in general. So the elementals are a weird problem because you kind of can't get rid of them. Mm hmm. There's too many of them in, in some and maybe you get rid of one of them, maybe you, if, if they do become a problem. But where, how do you feel that these exist? I mean, obviously, two of them are pretty terrible for you. Um, but well, them, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? I like them. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna like them. You know, if let's talk about what makes modern modern. What are like the foundations of modern? We, what what would you say are some of the key differentiators of modern over other formats, or specifically standard? Uh, historically, diff, like larger metagame, right? Like yes. the, like like yeah, more diversity. Diversity big is one. a big one. Very very important. Um, the ability to pick a deck for a long term amount of time. Um, yep. But I would put that in the metagame category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, we have a big metagame. That's then that's why we can play our decks for forever because hey, can be relevant for right, a very, very long right. time. Even if even if like you've had decks banned out from under you, like Affinity or Storm, those decks mm-hmm. have like there are artifact decks that are good now. You need Urza's, but a lot of the cards are still still good in those decks. And there are affinity decks that are playable now. You have there a similar is, there situ- are. Yeah, sim- same thing with Murfolk, the right? Wreck. Like and and so and like you know even if you had Splinter Twin that was banned. I mean the the Collected Company path is my favorite one, right? They're like Birthing Pod was the best deck. Birthing Pod went away within two months. Collected Company exists. It, the deck was like ninety percent the same cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like up to the consistency of the combo pieces and lowered the one shot bullets, <laughs> and then um, that became uh the the uh devoted druid deck which then became the heliod deck which then became you know like it just like consistently there's been this black white red or black white green combo deck creature deck that's exists in the format and most of the expensive cards have rotated into the next one and mm-hmm. i think that's a big feature of modern is just being able to like pick a strategy and always be able to find a window into being able to be good at that strategy and have success in the format yeah. which yeah which so is now the compared diversity to thing. say legacy or vintage what makes modern special why would you want to play modern over legacy and vintage? Um, vintage is well. Let's 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 remove cost, I guess, from the perspective because I do think yes. that that is obviously a big part of <laughs> that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to be able to play vintage, you could buy a car, <laughs> maybe a few you of buy them. A house. Yeah, some of these these decks are approaching one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Right. So so uh, outside of like like in a world where we're proxying everything, I, I think that vintage is and I also. Because I do think a big part of it is also that and it's related to that is community, right? Like you can go Mm -hmm. to a local game store and find Modern Night. You're just like finding there's one store in the city of Los Angeles that has Legacy Nights. And we are 
the second largest city in the country and top 10 in the world or whatever. So like if we can't find legacy games, <laughs> it's hard to find them. But right. so outside of those two, like actually I can't play legacy, which is the answer there is, is speed, uh, especially with vintage. Like you're, you're able to do stuff in the mid game that doesn't really exist in vintage outside of the, like, the jockeying of, oh, I'm not going to go for my thing until you go for it, but we're not really yes. doing things until one turn. Uh, and then with Legacy, it's 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 uh, the, the removal is worse. I mean, without Force of Will and Wasteland, the format drops down to a, like the ability to play more creature removal, but then also have creatures that come into play. But also Legacy is faster. You can still get like, to- you can be toasted by turn three. And sure. that's that was a big thing. I think what, people love about modern is for the most part i mean you even look at all those top 20 lists so you look at how many of these can kill by turn three right and i would say solitude actually helps defend like the turn four rule of of modern so it might be free it might be annoying but it's still a two for one maybe if ephemerate doesn't exist like there's no chance to like really abuse this card but Solitude itself has actually slowed Modern down a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot, a lot. I just don't see any... Like, I think probably Solitude is one of the reasons why Death Shadow isn't one of the bigger decks at the moment. Because they could be all in on this one creature that at any moment, even when your opponent's tapped out, can be like... I mean, if you have Inquisition or whatever. The like Inquisition doesn't even work. Right. It's got to be Thoughtseize now. So, um, I think... Both Fury and Solitude, while they're really annoying, and they are very good against me for the most part, they're actually slowing down and making Modern really interactive. Amulet Titan can't get away with, you know, murder. Death Shadow can't get away with murder. Mono Red Prowess can't get away with murder. Like, whatever early game that you have. And it's not like aggro isn't impo- is impossible because Hammer Time exists. So this sure. is the fastest deck in the format. And then so, you know, the aggro decks, they still have an angle. It's not going to be ships passing in the night anymore. Right. The, the, that, that's kind of like and people always talk about forcible being printed modern. And we were pretty pro mm-hmm. it before the, the previous season for MH2 happened. It, just from the perspective of like modern had gone so fast. The power level of Modern Horizons 1 plus Eldraine plus War of the Spark, etc. had like upped the, the, the combo potential of the format and really made it so like, oh no, this is a turn 2, turn 3 format now. We yeah. finally left. And I agree. I think the elementals have done a really good job at um, slowing the format down. And the other key pieces, you know, Raghavan, Merktide Regent, are tempo control pieces. Like, they just printed mm-hmm. good Delver of Secrets. Delver of Secrets has yep. been bad for a very long time. Uh, and <laughs> in modern, uh, in a world without Ponder and Preordain uh, and Wasteland. <laughs> and just and Force of Will. And Force of Will and Days. <laughs> and Days, yeah. Uh, and... But it's like a a blue red tempo deck is a thing I think people want to have in the format. It it, it sucks mm-hmm. that it's attached to the new Tarmogoyf as far as pricing people out of the format. But like Splinter Twin was a tempo deck that just like won because it also had a combo in it. But like I think yep. the thing that people were sad when t- it left is because that blue red tempo deck didn't exist and hasn't really existed since then. I I, I am of all of the decks that we talk about, like have like the birthing pod speech I just went through a second ago, blue red tempo has been the one that kind of got hit the hardest and, and Grix's death shadow kind of took over that mantle, but yeah, you know, the blue red deck became blood moon, the blue red deck or a uh, uh, blue moon decks, the blue red deck 
then became Phoenix decks, which weren't really tempo. They were dredge combo that like had like pretend (laughs) tempo elements to it. Uh, But now blue, you know, with Grixis Death Shadow and going into the blue red deck, I think like you're just you're just in that's the new Delver of Secrets. And I think that is also beneficial. I think a format is healthy when you have a tempo control deck be one of the main viable archetypes. Uh, Yeah. So there's there's a lot of like the the way I look at like I, I I'm not in love with Solitude or Fury as cards, but if we take a step back and we look at the metagame, it's like it's still a diverse metagame, and we can't expect every deck at the top to stay there for forever. Like things got to move. Like the new cards, and it, yeah, we had a lot of new cards over the last two years, and I think now finally after Modern Horizons two, I think this is. I was against the, you know, soft rotation argument, but now after Modern Horizons 2, like, I don't recognize any of these decks, more or less. Just burn, maybe blue, burn, blue control, and then some resemblance of Jund, and that's the only things that are here that I remember from, like, six years ago. Well, like, Urzov Stoneblade was a deck that existed that people would play. You know, Titan decks have been around this whole time. Well, only when they unban Stoneforge Mystic. Well, sure, yes. But that's not for Modern Horizons 2. Well, I'm just saying from the last two years, like, this injection of cards has now changed a lot of stuff. But yeah, yeah, Stoneblade saw a lot of play. And so, um, yeah, I mean... It's still modern. It's still diverse. It's do we still hit turn four? Despite all these new cards that have been printed, I think modern still has the flavor that it has always had. Sure. Well, and 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 I do I do want to say that I think some of this is also a stratification of modern having become an online format until very recently. So, and we talked about mm. this a lot last week. But if you look at the results from uh, SCG Cons to modern tournaments, there was an invitational and then there was a open. Um, and then the top eights of both tournaments i think it's the top 16s they had recorded drastically different and the main reason for that is gp metagames aren't people paying it they're not mostly pros th- that have access to any card they mm-hmm. could ever want right like if i'm a pro player and i'm playing pro magic i pretty much could play whatever deck i wanted because i have the connections to be able to borrow the cards i need or i own them um and if i am online i have a mtg you know a a mana traders account and i can rent any card i want and as long as it's not like the weird moments right after a modern horizon set come out and just the card availability is 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 tanked you can pretty much play any deck you want to get into just remember though that for at least for scg con um it was a split format so there's a lot of weird modern decks into the top eight. Sure. Only true. because someone's standard performance was really good. And so, well, going into the... GP Vegas, this will be the first real test to see what cream does rise to the top in a one to two thousand player event. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the things I'm most excited about this weekend. And one of the reasons that like we so we're working with Corbin Hostler, who does <laughs> tournament coverage when GPs are happening to actually, yeah. you know, uh, uh, sponsor the tournament coverage of this event to make sure it still happened because we wanted to see what does this look like? What is what is the modern meta game happening? What cool decks can we find on the floor? Uh, I guess for the people watching, if you want to see all of that, make sure to hit subscribe because we're going to have video of interviews posted here. Uh, make sure to follow the uh, Masters of Modern Twitter account at uh, the MMCast because we're going to be posting coverage throughout the weekend, specifically on Twitter. And so make, make sure to follow both places. We're going to have a bunch of content that weekend, which is going to be fun. But yeah, to your point, like the 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 one thing I will say, yes, it was a, it was a, a multi-format thing, but the the invitational metagame was basically this list, right? It was like Hammer Time decks, Zoro decks, Kahiro decks. It mm-hmm. was like three different, it was just like what you would expect it from the metagame if you were to go MTG Goldfish and look up what the best decks are. But you went to the open event and like 
mill won a thing. There was a, a like a time warp rug deck that like top 16. Like there was just such a yeah. different look of the format. And part of that is because those are the cards people own. Like the real world is different than when any car is available to you because this is a TCG. But that also means that the metagames get very, very different looking. And also which decks are good in those metagames change. And I'm, I'm uh, like, this is a very condensed version of what a modern tournament could look like. And I do think Magic Vegas is going to be a much different look. Yeah, so, uh, well, I think. So, I mean, we, I mean, well, first off, you you nail it perfectly that, you know, the Magic Traders account, the, the rental services, these things are, you know, creating a very different metagame online. And they, as they get more and more popular, no one's dedicated to their deck, whereas in paper, they have to be dedicated to it. But uh, I would expect at least day two, or at least the top, if I were to predict the top 150 decks, it would probably look closer to what we see in uh, the top like 32s of modern cha- like modern challenges or preliminaries and stuff like that. But day one, it will still be anything. Right. You know, right. It, it, because like not everyone's going to own these cards. Not everyone can borrow the cards. Not to mention, I mean, hey, maybe it's even worse. Like the cards are legitimately more expensive now. These decks are really expensive. Just looking like they're they're averaging like I don't know a thousand three hundred dollars or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, they, they're the, the price of these decks are really up there, especially for the really good decks. So maybe maybe people are really going to be priced out of these things. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what that what that can look like. And and that that I think is my biggest complaint with the soft rotation modern problem right is it's just like can you keep up with these prices if i didn't buy my elemental cycles during modern horizons to like one down moment right after it came out now it's it's like a, a an entire standard deck or an entire deck in another format just to buy a place into these cards um mm-hmm. we did do so so anyone joining new uh for the last five weeks now we've been doing kind of a key point to kind of create a list of like how to get into modern. And we have episodes on what cards you should buy, but uh, like a big one was like how to get into modern. We did it with the professor um, on like, what are the best ways to enter the format from an affordability perspective? Definitely recommend checking that out. If you want to see what that looks like. Ironically, I've like, like I'm like just trying to hit up the best merfolk players in the world within a month. I had like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, just by coincidence. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, wait, I've now now had that was like I need to end it with you. Right. You're the you're the one that's like built everything on that (laughs) that pyramid uh, and and are the most like actually doing tournament magic with that deck. So ending the cycle of prof into Corbin into you of merfolk aficionados was exciting. Corbin Hostler too. Yeah. Yeah, He's a big into Merfolk as well. Yep, I, like all three of them are the ones that like love when I like bring up the fact that Merfolk has like tied for the most modern GP wins, right? They're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm playing a deck that's like has won a lot of things. <laughs> I'm so used to people being mean to me. Proof <laughs> a concept. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, all right. So this is this is the last bit. So we asked our Discord. Uh, you can also do it in that Discord. Uh, some questions for you, uh, and some of them I think we maybe talked about a little bit, but I'll, I'll jump to it and we can answer some of them. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snap Bolt asks, what cards, if any, would you want taken out of the format? I just want, I, you know, it, w- it would be nice if Luris was gone, just specifically Luris. I could at least, because it's turned these Thoughtsies matchups into like a ticking time bomb. I know I can't go into the late game against this, so I have to, not so much race, I have to tempo them out. I got to choke up their mana. I'm playing on an angle that I don't really want. Like, I'll, pl- I'll play this angle. But I've warped my deck so much. Like, as far as I'm concerned, Dismember is unplayable. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to re- play any sort of removal spell on my deck unless it was 
prismatic ending for exactly exiling the spell. So Luris can't bring it back. Uh, Luris is, I mean, you could say that about uh, all the other companions as well. Like it's, you know, it's all card advantage, but Luris is back breaking card advantage in an Inquisition removal heavy deck. They just exchange all the resources. Oh, get the Luris. Okay, this game is basically over. You have like a one turn window to kill Luris, or they'll just bring everything back from the graveyard, and you just can't come back from that. So that was probably that's probably the only card I would prefer to not see anymore. Or they just change the co- companion rule and say I don't know, something else. I have no idea what they can do. Would you? Would you? So, so you just ban Luros out, right? Like, because I know people have talked about getting yeah, rid of ban Luris. getting rid of um, the easy way to deal with yeah, the stupid yeah. kitty. <laughs> just like, just finally put the like we've tried. It's still too good. Yeah, because I don't know mm-hmm. if like hearing control deck seems almost like a freebie that they're like, oh, we'll sacrifice like the two Snapcaster mages we maybe would have played just to be able to play yeah. this. Elementals is a tribal deck, so like that just feels like it belongs there. The mm-hmm. Yorion problem, I think, is the other one, but like that one also just like wasn't seeing play three weeks ago. So it's hard to say that's like the one that's problematic. So Kihira is a free eighth card. But I don't know why people don't talk about this more. Luris is a free eighth, ninth, tenth card. Right. Like that's my problem with Luris. And it's not bringing back chunky stuff. No, it's a bring back one drops and two drops like if these are really easy things to cast if you have three mana to put Luris in your hand you generally have a fourth one to just immediately play a creature from the graveyard so Kihira is just a random eighth card but I would say Luris cascades or spirals out of control worse than Raghavan does mm-hmm. because the moment someone plays Luris is when they know the coast is clear and the game just so basically ends there um Whereas with Raghavan, it's played turn one, but like, hey, we got a game, you know, right. I can try to block it. I can kill it. There's, there's a lot of this, you know, still a lot of magic to be played. But every single time Luris gets played against me, it's almost always when I'm doomed. Or at least if I try to play an attrition war with another Luris deck. So I've learned not, like, I just can't do it. I mean, hey, maybe that's just how magic needs to be played. I got to take a more tempo oriented role or I'm bouncing the stuff to my opponent's hand or stealing it from them. Like, uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's my gripe with Luris. It's um, radically changed my approach to some matchups that used to be really easy. And and like, so, yeah, so so like over Raghavan, over Dragon Rage Channeler, over over Murktide Regent, over any of the elementals like Luris seems to be the card that that I, I, I think I agree with you. That appears to have been the most consistent problem throughout mm-hmm. the last two years. And still sees a lot of play, a right. lot of play. I mean, it's seeing, still seeing a lot of play. I, I will say it's good that they've gotten the companion. I don't think eradicating in companions to make them worse makes sense to me because it's like there's one that's really problematic. The other ones are seeing some amount of play. It's fine for some mechanic to play that way. But right now, it's definitely not keeping like Loros in check where mm-hmm. and if you do look at the Invitational, it was mono companion decks. It was like one deck that wasn't running companions. It was three Kahira decks and four Luris decks. And it was like, okay, this is maybe not good. <laughs> I mean, even in the Sunday Modern Challenge, I just analyzed a little while ago, uh, and maybe I should analyze more Modern Challenges. It was like 65 or 70% of the decks were all companion decks. Right. And I didn't even take notice to it until someone told, uh, asked me about the companions. Like, oh, wow, there's a lot of companions. And we got Gigantha here and Obosh like any deck that can possibly play it they are right 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 and it's just like it, it it has consistently been this really powerful mistake 
<laughs> like in the long run. And it sucks because I like in Commander, I have a few decks that are running companions and I love them in that format. They're great. And it's really cool that I get three of them. But in ma- in modern, they've just and in competitive magic, they've been a disaster. Um, well, I have a really bad take for this. Like, it's not a popular take. I like companions. I don't like that. Not everyone has access to one. Sure. That's my problem. Like if if we're horribly like in commander, everyone has a commander. So it's a fair playing field. Like imagine someone at the table that wasn't allowed to play with a commander and just had to play off the top of their deck. They would be horribly disadvantaged. I mean, they would just be ruined um without like this commander is an amazing resource it's a recurrable Mm -hmm. uh card that comes over and over and over again despite removal spells so i think modern would be more fair and i had no problem with companions just as a mechanic i know a lot i'm part of this some weird five percent here as you as you hear i don't care what happens to modern for the most part so long as it's balanced you know whatever happens happens that's the metagame that we have to uh that's the the new problems new challenges that's what I like about modern there's it's always changing but I have to say it's very unfair if certain decks are allowed to play with companions because I don't think a whole lot of new decks were made just some decks were just gutted so they could jam a Luris in it and mm. then boom you've got like a new companion like you know these control decks are just adding a bunch of more cards to play Yorian um burn just adds Luris to their to their sideboard not changing anything else about their deck Right. Anyway, that's that's just how it is. Well, I I think like we we made this argument in the heyday of companion, right? The that like if because because errating them didn't sound feasible, and that's I mean that that was you know ended up being the solution, but we didn't think that like recommending oh we should they should change the rules on cards that are in print because they'd never really done that in that way before as a, a response to banning and like banning ten cards seemed ridiculous or really difficult, and then you get into vintage where you can't even do that, and they had to actually like actually ban a card for the first time since your Harizard <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> was yeah. in the format. Was, it was um, completely free but, turn but, one Black Lotus into Lurus. <laughs> right. <laughs> but our like answer to it was if we're stuck with these, print more of them. Like like just just and and kind of the irony of that, or not irony, that's not the right use of the word irony, but they then we went to Commander Legends because at the time partners had a similar kind of reaction in commander were like they were pretty mm-hmm. behated because the only ones available were the first you know 15 that were printed all relatively limited a lot of them super powerful forcing you pretty much to most of the time play a four color deck with them or allowing mm-hmm. four color decks to be a lot easier and you had this problem where you're drawing an extra card at the beginning then commander legends came out they printed 30 of them now like there's a ton of different strategies that can take advantage of them the power level of them is all over the place every type of deck can use them you don't need to use them they're not necessarily better than playing other decks and now they're people's favorite mechanic <laughs> i want more oh of wow them. that's interesting yeah so i have this take on companion like i like companion but like i have a feeling we're not going to see anymore because it sounded like 95 percent, and they and they didn't come out with any more right since then so maybe they did have plans. They're like, you know what? We got to scrap this. This is a really dangerous mechanic for for modern. Um, but uh, yeah, I would prefer to see more. But like, they're, yeah, they're just not going to do it. So it yep. looks like if they don't print too many, then one day these are all going to get banned. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I can imagine Lurus getting banned. I could also imagine them like once in a while. Like I could see them doing a merfolk. 
companion like tomorrow i could imagine like they're just like modern horizons three companion yeah merfolk. like there's one like the same way they did a merfolk god right like there's gonna be like <laughs> one random merfolk like companion or like maybe two and it's like a hark back to the fact that that mechanic was used before in the same way random <laughs> cards have that in in modern horizons and we get the mer and like that's an easy one right like people are like oh i can't think of a lot of cool ideas and the easy one is just a tribal one just like every card in your deck has to be a merfolk that's a creature mm -hmm. And that's like a companion. Like elemental. Will, yeah, like exactly. And like that they could do for days. And so I could see us going to a tribal set and maybe getting a cycle. That's like another place I could see it. But I, I like I, I agree that either it needs to be dealt with or a solution might be print a bunch of them. But they'd have to commit to that. And it's a big risk. <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. It, it's it's a difficult thing for them to do. It's a huge risk. And maybe they make things worse. And now they got to ban like 20 cards instead of just ban 10. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, like based on what we're seeing, I think I think this weekend's also going to show a lot about and maybe Wizards is kind of waiting for the same thing where they're like, let's see what a real paper tournament looks like with actual active participants. And like, do we need to do something? And they might they might see that window. It has been nice, though, since Modern Horizons 2, that there has been this stabilization and there hasn't been bans. I'm glad they didn't like ban Urza Saga out of the gate or Raghavan out of the gate or like even Luros at this point. But I think we are getting to the point where seeing one of these cards go is is becoming more and more likely as it just is is gutting decks like there's cards that don't see plenty more because just Luros is around and why play a three drop. There was an argument back in the day that that's why they banned Splinter Twin was like we had Tom LaPill on the episode and it was like, here's the issue. You can't play a three drop that's a sorcery in modern anymore because because Splinter Twin exists in the format. And Aaron Forsyth is going to go in his office. He's going to be sad and walk out. I'm like, I guess we have to bring Splinter Twin. And like three days later, <laughs> banned yeah, it. Yeah, it's they, like, <laughs> they axed the damn thing. <laughs> it was like, oh, Tom LaPill just like totally predicted what was going to happen. So that's great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a thing that I, I can imagine happening. And then we'll have 10 years of people wanting to bring Loras back because you'll, you'll have nice maybe maybe <laughs> i don't know i don't know if there's a devoted fan base for loris as there was for splinter twin yeah i think i think i think loris is a card that is going to be one of those like yes thank you it'll be not like hogak levels because that was like an emergency ban but um it'll there, be a gitaxian probe yeah like, well, thank you for your time while we were together right right exactly time to move on all right so i time think to see other people uh, <laughs> um, this was this is from Van Gogh. Where does where do you see the room for Merfolk to evolve to? We kind of answered some of this, but the, the last mm -hmm. question is the one I want to get to mostly because the current decks that pop up in challenges seem to have a very robust core with limited wiggle room to pivot in other directions. Uh, can you see green or white or other splashes work its way back into the deck or is the core too settled for, uh, in the current meta? Uh, well, I don't really like the green because I cannot... What I loved about green, Command of Speaker, Merfolk Mistbinder, is that you had a lot of power at a low mana cost, but now because of Fury and Solitude, it just doesn't matter. It like really does. You you will never get under Merfolk isn't wasn't fast to begin with. And now it's like it's it looks really slow in the face of these free interactive uh, free interactive removal spells. Uh so I'm not even considering the green at all. White maybe has a really solid chance because of prismatic ending. And it's very, and it, I can favorably play it with Chalice of the Void, maybe if I want to. But even without it, like 
it's just, I mean, it's just well positioned. That's why it's one of the best removal spells in the format. Deals with Raghavan, Dragon Rage, Chandler very cleanly. Luris can't bring it back. So, I mean, maybe there's room to play a white splash specifically for Prismatic Ending because it's a removal spell that maybe Merfolk actually wants it's, and actually will remove things and it's right. gone forever. It's the most played card in the format for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about red or black? We've got nothing for black. There's like this. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe there's not nothing. Maybe there's something to explore there, but it's uh, nothing useful. Like you think black, you think fatal push, you think, I don't know, blood chiefs, there's inquisition, thoughtsies, but that's now you're playing into everyone else's hand. Like Yorian is a card. These most of these Yorian decks, they're card advantage machines. So you're never going to really grind them out with thoughtsies. And I don't want to. And also destroying creatures plays into Luris. So I'm not really looking at that. Uh, the advantage is to red. I've played it before. Bolt is nice. Just randomly throw a bolt at your opponent. Sometimes that makes combat damage a little, a lot easier. And having access to Blood Moon is sometimes convenient. Some decks just lose to Blood Moon. And that's, that's just, hey, it's literally sort of a one-card win condition sometimes. Um, but that's about it. Outside of that, I'm not really looking at the other colors. I would say white is the most possible. But still, like whenever you move into another color you're immediately weaker to Blood Moon. Like, when you're mono blue, you crush all the Blood Moon decks. Sometimes they bring it in against you because of Muta Vault. They are fools. They usually <laughs> mana screw themselves. So, like, I'm I'm all in favor of anyone bringing in Blood Moon against me. But the problem is when you start splashing a color, you now realistically can lose to a Blood Moon. Because if you, you might end up just being dependent on Aether Vial or something or... It really chokes up your mana. So, so many of your cards are double pips too, right? Like, yeah, like exactly. If, if you get off of, if you're just like, oh, island, red, blue land that is now permanently red, mm-hmm. I just can't cast spells. Um, cool. Exactly. And then uh, the last question is from Nana Rhodes. Uh, strongest card for Modern Horizon 2. And if there were a Modern Horizons block constructed, which deck would you play? Probably some elemental deck. They get to play with all the, I think... You, hold on, modern you, do I, that includes Modern Horizons one. Yes, yeah, so you get Modern Horizons one and Modern Horizons two. Then it probably has to be some sort of elemental Uro deck, or maybe not Uro. Something with Ephemerate. That's probably like pro- that's probably the best. That's probably the best deck in some block. It's very interesting to think about block constructed best card out of Modern Horizons two. Like probably may- maybe it's Dragon Rage Chandler. I mean, maybe it's that. Maybe it's it's a close between maybe Dragon Rage Chandler, Raghavan, and uh, uh, Solitude. Those are all very... Urza Saga maybe is the fourth, if you're picking a top four. I mean, Urza Saga is the greatest chance of being completely busted in half, but it's, and the, no one's found the deck yet. So, I mean, that could easily be number one. But no one... There's been a lot of cute decks with Urza Saga. People are just randomly throwing it in, like, in Jun. So, I mean, that does show the power level mm-hmm. of Urza Saga. The hammer time decks, right? That's like probably the best deck for it too. And then you have, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and Pris- sure, prismatic, absolutely. prismatic ending, I guess, is the fifth. Let's yeah, get, prismatic ending. Top five. So prismatic endings, not subtlety, the white one. But like something like like Ragavan or Dragon Rage Chandler. Like once they come out early, you could potentially just lose to them. Or as a saga, you you really depend on interacting with your opponent in some way mm-hmm. in order to like get like full value out of this. If you just play Urza Saga and try to make some con like some constructs, you'll probably lose to your opponent. Um, but I would say I, uh, Urza Saga has the highest ceiling because it is a tutor. There's more artifacts come out. This could end up one day being above and beyond the best card printed in Modern Horizons 2. But just 
after a few months, probably like probably Dragon Rage Chandler or sure. something like that. Sure, sure, sure. All right. That that or maybe Ragavan. I don't know. There's a debate. I want to say it's Ragavan, but you know, a lot of people make a good argument. Raga Dragon Rage Chandler is an amazing card too. Sculpts the top of your library. Better than it takes steals cards from your opponent's deck, like Ragavan does. I think I'm hard on Prismatic Ending, but I think like all five of these cards are like really good arguments. I think the elemental problem is that if there was only one of them, it would be a good argument, but there's because there's five and all of them are seeing play. <laughs> it's you know what I to... loved about Prismatic. I made a whole spoiler video about Prismatic Ending. I thought this was above and beyond like one of the most amazing removal spells ever. It's probably it probably just is the best removal spell ever. And everyone just crapped on me in the comments section. Like, this thing's overrated. There's no way this is replacing Path to Exile. I should look up all these comments and, like, shame them in a, in a future <laughs> video. Like, how, I mean, maybe I was totally wrong about Thrasta because I was, like, really pumping up Thrasta. It's like I kept this video up, too, just because it keeps gaining views. People are, I guess, looking at the open Thrasta in a Modern Horizons 2 booster. And, like, right. I've got to look up, like, who's talking about this? Well, I'm, I talked about it, but anyway, it sees no play. But prismatic, I was dead on about prismatic ending. That was a completely format changing card for sure. Oh yeah. So I mean, if you want to say it's number one, I mean, I'm not really going to debate it. Sure, sure. But I think there's yeah, there's it's a fun. I, I think there's a bunch of different arguments, and that one can fall to the wayside, right? The, like if white removal is better in other places, but yeah, people are splashing for it. It's an interesting conversation. Um, and then I guess that's, those are the last of the questions. Those, if you have, is there anything else you want to talk about in regards to modern before sign offs? Oh my God, there's a million things, you know, we should talk more <laughs> about modern, less about Merfolk. Who wants to hear about Merfolk? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, surprisingly large number of people so interesting <laughs> <laughs> um but awesome yeah so i mean obviously anytime you want to come back on it was it was great having you really quickly where what once again where can people find you on the internet anywhere nikachu mtg n-i-k-a-c-h-u-m-t-g twitter not that i post anything useful there youtube i mean that's youtube's youtube's the real baby i've like three different channels now like a main channel Almost like vi video essays and reacts now is basically what that channel is. And then I have a new channel, actually, Nikachu MTG News, where I'm trying to make more, put more of my modern devoted content there. And then I have Nikachu MTG Streams, where you can see my gameplay. And I have uh, my own like morning show where I do Q&A and we talk modern, basically modern. I mean, the community is very modern based. Sometimes someone asked something about Popper. And I think I had commander players there until... They realized uh, I don't know anything about Commander. <laughs> <laughs> they went to some other show <laughs> probably to get their answers. Yeah, you got to get those Commander questions out there. Uh, like companions are good there, but terrible everywhere else. And <laughs> um, in, in <laughs> for the format, not in in, in quality of <laughs> the cards, mm -hmm. the opposite problem. But uh, so yeah, so so once again, thank you so much for joining. Uh, for if you're listening to this for the first time and and uh, you want more modern content, we release this podcast every Tuesday now. Uh, please hit that subscribe button; it's super appreciated. Uh, we have a Discord and all that stuff. That like all these questions. If you want to ask questions to our guests or us, we post what that episode is going to be, and we hit up the questions when we have time. So definitely check out the Discord and make sure to stay tuned. Every Sunday we're doing modern gameplay now, a uh, live streamed. It'll be on uh, Twitch.tv 
slash Cass Wiley and live stream to this YouTube channel. Uh, so either one, make sure to check it out and then it'll be posted and live on the YouTube channel indefinitely. So if you missed this week's episode of me and Ben playing, I think I'm going to try making a time sieve deck of some variety work. Uh, it, make sure to check that video out. Uh, make sure to follow Nikachu. Thank you so much for joining uh, the podcast. It was great having you on and uh, we'll be back. Oh, and, and last but not least, make sure to keep an eye out for the Magic Fest Vegas or whatever. Yes. Magic the Gathering Las Vegas. Uh, we'll have a bunch of coverage here and on the MCAST Twitter. Uh, and so it's going to be a big deal for the next week. Um, we're super hyped to see what the metagame looks like. And and hopefully Merfolk can top eight another one. <laughs> the professor has that extra incentive. Oh, if yeah, I win that's this right. Tournament, I get a business class trip to his studio for a video. So I am technically playing for more prizes than anyone else in this room. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fair. You get I he mentioned that on the podcast before. And that's true of anyone playing Merfolk. So if you Yes, not just me. If you top eight the tournament with a Merfolk deck, the pro- professor will fly you to Portland to to do a whole a whole video about it. So definitely. No, he said we have to win. We have to oh, win. We have to win. You have to win the whole one. I thought okay, yeah. I'll take win. Yeah, you have to win the whole thing. I'm not gonna promise anything. <laughs> I don't have any <laughs> it. Um all right. So uh once again, thank you. Thank you everyone for watching. Hit that like button, subscribe button, watch all the other videos on all the content, etc., and we will talk to you next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.